Thank you for joining us again on another episode or for another episode of Rebuilding the Black Family. Thank you for joining us. We're thrilled by those of you who are checking out our podcast every week, subscribing and liking and passing on and sharing it with your family, your loved ones, your friends, your co-workers. Thank you very much. You're helping us to get the message of Rebuilding the Black Family across this region, across Canada, and also around the world. So again, thank you very much. Today, we have an exciting program. We're going to talk about the history of black resistance to racism, oppression, specifically in Canada. Now, there's something I want to, a quote I want to uh, speak to you or share with you. It was by uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. He said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inexplicable network of mutuality. Uh, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. So we're going to be um, discussing this subject of uh, resistance or black resistance to racism, oppression in Canada with our in-house expert, Mr. David Grant. <laughs> Brother Carl, you're uh, you're kind with the words. You know, expert. You know, I want to make it clear to the <laughs> I want to make it clear to the audience. I'm not a historian. My expertise is certainly in mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and of course the psyche of uh, of people. But um, my, I guess, because of my passion, because of my love for understanding exactly. the condition. Mm-hmm of African people, mm-hmm. I do um, dabble in understanding and reading and becoming learned in mm-hmm. the antecedents of what we have in our present day in terms of why we as black people um, are, are, are so strong as it pertains to resisting against racism and how basically how we came to be. Mm-hmm. So let's start by saying or asking this, uh, David, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. what has been the um, black people's history of resistance against racism or i like to call it racism oppression yes in canada give us somewhat of an overview excellent so i want first and foremost people to understand that black people have a 400 over 400 year history of Mm -hmm. resisting against racism this was not something that happened yesterday or even 10 Mm -hmm. years ago Mm -hmm. since the inception of enslavement in canada since the first a uh, black man, Olivier Lejean, mm-hmm. uh, was taken into Canada. He was actually served as an interpreter and a negotiator between mm-hmm. the indigenous peoples here as well as the uh, Europeans. Yep. He also was, from what I understand, mm-hmm. enslaved as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. right, um, for a period of time. Um, so resistance has happened since the beginning of time. So I want to give a couple examples just yes, to show please. in the different ep- epochs of, um, you know, of our life. Um, here in Canada, what that resistance has looked like. So we can look, for instance, just during enslavement in general, which enslavement in Canada began in 1619, um, was abolished by the Crown, by the Mm -hmm, British mm -hmm. um, in 1834. Um, We as African people, we knew that there was nothing pleasant about slavery. There was nothing pleasant about slavery in Canada, despite the fact that we did not have the same plantation system Mm -hmm. as our American counterparts or the Caribbean or South America, slavery here was diabolical. We were treated as subhuman, right? We were codified by law. Our mm-hmm. humanity was codified by law. We mm-hmm. were not considered human beings. We were considered real estate, mm-hmm. if we mm-hmm. really think about it. Exactly. And because African people understood that from the very beginning, we ran away. 
we um, defied our slave masters. We defied, uh, you know, white patrons in the community. Mm -hmm. We defied it right from the beginning. There's, um, you know, people can take Google searches and there's um, images, like historical images mm -hmm. of um, ads, of I guess wanted ads of um, enslaved African people yep. who fled from yep. their slave masters. Mm -hmm. And they'll describe, it will say wench, which is what they used to mm -hmm. call black women, bed wench, 33 you know, her, their height, weight, whatever. Mm -hmm. This Negro, this is what they used to call us, this Negro was seen last in this respective area. Her master is, you know, mm -hmm. which, whichever the name. So it goes to show this is how we were treated. And the fact that there's wanted posters for us, that means we were resisting. That means we were running away. Mm -hmm. We keep... We are under the impression that Canada was nothing more than a safe haven from our refugee yeah. refugee counterparts yeah, in the, the states. Narrative. That's yeah. the narrative. Mm -hmm. it, sometimes, actually, it was the reverse. Mm. That Canada, we actually fled sometimes to the states to free areas in the states. People don't know that. There's some African enslaved African people who fled from Canada. So from the upper, the, what what used to be known as Upper Canada, we fled from there. For instance, uh, from our our wretched slave masters to free places in the states like Vermont. Right. People don't know about that. Mm -hmm. We keep her mm -hmm. about the reverse. Mm -hmm. But I want to. So we, we, we resisted there. We travel now um, even during slavery, but now in, in the latter half, for instance, there's the first race riots in North America. Shelburne race riots, which Shelburne is um, is a town in uh, Nova Scotia, mm -hmm. and uh, that was the first race uh, race riots, and it actually wasn't started by us. It was started by the white loyalists who were disgruntled with enslaved African people being self sufficient. And when was that? This was in 1784. Thank you. Very good. Thank you mm -hmm. for reminding me of the date. Um, 1784. Mm -hmm. White loyalists decided to mob a black preacher. Um, who decided he was going to preach the gospel even to white congregants, whether they liked it or not. And they decided to run enslaved Africa, or I should say free. Some of them were free black people out of their respective town. They beat us. They uh, destroyed our properties. They ran us out of the town. It was a race riot, but it was actually incited by white disgruntled loyalists. And the loyalists were the people who fought for the, for the, the British. British. Yeah. So we fast forward now. We can even go to the early 1900s. So we just had a slave in 1834. Let's go to 1914. Well, let's go to the prairies, right? Mm -hmm. We go to Alberta, specifically in Edmonton. Charles Daniels, if I'm not mistaken, 1914. Uh, you know, in, uh, a black man. He's so-called free. Right. We have to remember he was so-called free, but he was not equal. Mm -hmm. He decides he wants to go to a movie theater. He's refused entry simply because he's black. So for people who say there was no systemic racism, how on earth could there be no systemic racism? Yet he was denied entry into a movie theater because he was black. He said, I'm not going to tolerate that. I'm going to resist. And he decided I'm going to go in anyway. They threw him out and he decided to sue them. He lost. But he resisted. Hmm. Fast forward eight years later, 1922, Lulu Anderson, same yeah. town, Edmonton, mm -hmm. went into a movie theater and decided, I'm going to go into this movie theater, whether you guys like it or not. Thrown out and now assaulted. They assaulted one of our sisters just because she wanted to be treated like a human being and mm. go and watch a movie. In Edmonton, Alberta. And she sued. Lost again, but she resisted. She resisted. The, we keep talking about Rosa Parks, Viola Desmond, and Viola Desmond being the Rosa Parks of Canada. It mm -hmm. was the reverse. Viola Desmond's lawsuit against the movie theater in New Glasgow actually preceded Rosa Parks' uh, mm -hmm. uh, um, mm -hmm. resistance on the bus. Viola Desmond didn't want to sit in the balcony. Neither did Carrie M. Bess, who also around the same time resisted. And they were kicked out of the movie theater simply because they wanted to sit on the floor and mm -hmm. have a better view. We fast forward now even to the present, the, the 60s, right? And I'm, and I'm almost saying that because I want to show yeah, the history yeah, yeah. 
of black resistance. We come to the 60s. Did you know that there was a Black Panther chapter in Montreal? Right. Mm. And it came about around the time of the George William Affair incident or uprising, i.e. known as the computer center in uh, uh, the computer center uh, riot, mm. um, which was at what used to be known as George Affair University, which is now known as Concordia University. Mm. Several black students um, deemed uh, one of their biology teach, uh, um, teachers racist um, when it comes to their grading and stuff and decided to. Um, challenge it and bring hearings, et cetera, et cetera, that evoked a whole bunch of controversy and race and, and heightened race relations. Around that time, Black Panther movement came around. This was also around the time that there was a chapter of the United Negro Improvement Association coined by uh, the Honorable Marcus Garvey, who was a back to Africa man, mm -hmm. who was a Pan-African. Mm -hmm. And that was in Montreal. And then you have police brutality happen and the Young Street riots happened in 1992 in Toronto, where we resisted, where we resisted against police brutality because of the unfortunate murder of Raymond Lawrence and, um, you know, Raymond Lawrence in 1992, around the same time as Rodney King, mm -hmm. when he was beat over 20, it's over 30 times. And now we are in the present time, 2022, mm -hmm. and we're still uh, having to ride, we're still having to protest against police brutality when we have brothers like Andrew Local who was killed in 2015 mm. and he had, he was mentally ill. When we have people like Regis Korczynski Packet who was killed, who, who we, we don't know how she fell off of the balcony, but we do know she didn't have a history of suicidal thoughts and we do know that as soon as the cops came in, all of a sudden she falls off. Now, they don't know what conclusions are, but we know the history, unfortunately, of police relations and black people at, who are especially who are mentally ill. My point is, is we as black people, we rioted, we protested, we resisted, we said mm. enough is enough. I want to show this timeline yeah. because this is what black resistance has looked like. And this is what we've been through as a result of racism and why we've, uh, uh, why we've um, resisted. So we'll, we'll talk further about well, that. Well, that is excellent. That, that's a yeah. great overview. That's a, that's a tremendous overview. Yeah. Now, let me ask this. This may be maybe a, maybe a little diversion, but I believe yeah. it's, it, it's no, uh, no. relevant. 100%. Now, you know, what does the history then of uh, Canadian blacks, uh, let's say their resistance, our resistance to racism oppression, yes. what does it reveal uh, about our forefathers' vision mm. of themselves and for their children? Excellent. What it reveals, if I can sum it up in, you know, just a few words, is that our forefathers, for the most part, even since the time of enslavement, excuse me, we understood that our humanity, the importance of our humanity, and our opposition against our humanity being defiled was non-negotiable. I'm going to say that again. Mm -hmm. Our forefathers, for the most part, understood that our humanity was nothing to play with. It was, it, it was non-negotiable for it to be defiled, mm -hmm. for it to be degraded, for it to be exploited. Mm -hmm. And we would defend that in the beautiful words of the Honorable Al-Haj Malik Al-Shabazz, Malcolm yeah, X. Mm -hmm. We would defend that by any means necessary. That's what I understood as our forefathers understand. So you would say that they saw themselves as a, a full human being. Very good. Worthy of... You know, absolute dignity, respect, yes. honor, and worth. Yes. They never saw themselves as their oppressors saw them. No. So they were... For, for the most for part. For the most yes. part. So yes. we could say that vision of themselves 
really allowed them to to resist yeah. racism, yes. even to the point of being willing to sacrifice their lives. Yes. I'm saying, would you say that? 100%. Yeah. We have to understand that in our history of resistance against racism, and I keep wanting to really bring mm -hmm. home that word resistance mm -hmm. by any means necessary, there has never not been bloodshed. Mm -hmm. So when you're saying we sacrifice... We understood that, as you said, right from the beginning, that you there is no revolution without bloodshed. Mm. There is no sacrifice without bloodshed. And bloodshed either comes from our self-sacrifice or, again, in the, fam the, uh, the famous <laughs> words of Brother Malcolm X, even Stephen. Mm. But we understood that blood, unfortunately, would need to be shed for the freedom of our people in whatever respective regard. So they saw, we could say, equality was non-negotiable. Very good. Humanity and their humanity. Their humanity. Because yeah. equality is one thing where mm -hmm. you and, uh, you know, the white man or the Chinese man or the Indian man or whomever, we're equal in the sense that we see each other as equal. But we have to understand, we actually didn't start out that way. Mm -hmm. In a lot of other movements outside of, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the outside of African people, it was a fight for equality. Mm -hmm. Right? It was a fight for equality. Ours was first a fight for humanity. humanity. Yeah. Then it was a fight for civility. Mm. Then it was a fight for equality. Yeah. And now it's simply a fight for survival. Wow. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we as black people have to understand that we didn't start off mm -hmm. the same level as other people. Even other groups who were colonized. Mm. They were not dehumanized mm. by law and in history. We are the only group that was. So we are our struggle started off at the bottom of yeah. the bottom. We had to first prove that we were human beings and everything else but then could came you, after that. But in hearing you though, and even just that, that excellent overview, and of course that's only a smidgen, that was a smidgen. Of, of the history oh, of, yeah. of um, resistance. But in hearing you, what, 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 what uh, strikes me, can you imagine, David, how, what compelled them? To me, I see... Because I see they must have had a vision yes. of themselves. Mm -hmm. As you said, they are fully human. Yes. They are human. That wasn't yes. in question. Yes. And that the things they're fighting for wasn't so much them fighting for something that they're trying to get. No. To me, I think this is what they were. This they what added they deserve. on the inside. This is what exactly. they deserve. Yeah. I'm demanding it. Yes. You see what I'm saying? So to me, this is who I am. I yes. am human. Yes. I am worthy of dignity and respect. I should have equality. Very good. And I demand it. You yes. see what I'm saying? And so yes. I, I just love that. Now, let me, um, there's a statement. I've got to say this. I'm going to ask you another question. Mm -hmm. I remember in grade 12, and I think it was grade 12 history. I'll never forget this because I never, I looked back and wondered why did this older history teacher ask me this, say this? He wrote in my yearbook, a man has nothing to live for at 80. If he has nothing to die for at 30. Ooh. That was great. I, I, I never forgot that. So, and, and that, so can you think, so I, I, that thought came to mm -hmm. me as you That's were powerful. talking, as you were speaking about this, the passion, the drive, the compulsion our forefathers had. Mm -hmm. See, they realized, listen, my, my, my humanity, mm -hmm. the very fact I'm creating in the image of God, I bear the image of God. I deserve dignity and respect. Mm -hmm. Can you, this, I believe that drove them. Yes. That they were willing to, <laughs> can yeah. you imagine, to, to suffer dehumanization? Yes. Punishment, the whip. Yes. 
I'm, can you imagine that? Oh, I, I can scarcely were, and, imagine. And they saw, and they saw, listen, our, our children are worthy. They're deserving. Their life, their future demands this resistance. Yes. Our resistance. 100%. So let me ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Now, so then why this history then that you've articulated, though briefly. Yes. Why was it sealed? Or concealed, excuse me. Excellent. You know, from us. Because most Canadians don't know this history. No. And and some who do refuse to talk about it. Okay. So let me, so I, if I again could sum up mm-hmm. why they concealed it is because Canada, for some strange reason, wants to uphold this image that they are the land, uh, essentially, of milk and honey, and that they are always, they almost always want to prove that they are more civilized than their American, their Euro-American counterparts. If there's anything that I've seen throughout history is that when all else is going wrong in Canada, the, the, the go-to statement is, well, at least we're not like the U.S., right? And the irony is the U.S. used to do the same thing and say, well, at least we're not like South Africa, right? This is why Brother Malcolm was so prominent in what he was trying to do is because he was trying to put hmm. the U.S. of A on in the world court to show, no, let's show your true colors that you are lynching black men that you are beating down black women and raping black women and denying civil liberties to a greater african diaspora community you are not the land of the free world you are not who you say you are this is what he was doing Mm -hmm. in the u.s in Mm the 1950s and 60s right what we what myself, what a lot of other people are trying to do with Canada in 2022 is to say, no, Canada, you are not the land of milk and honey. No, Canada, you have had slavery in on this land for over 200 years. No, Canada, you did not have a more modest and more tame slavery. You have people who are willing to die in the name of being free people than to live in bondage. You cannot have that phenomenon. And it wasn't one or two. It was pop it was a whole population. Hmm. You cannot have that and then concurrently call yourself a free and so-called multicultural and kind hmm. nation mm-hmm. with integrity. Mm-hmm. So uh, to answer your question, why did they conceal that? They want to uphold this image, a false image as it may be. It's an image that they have to hold on to because for some odd reason, there is this almost psychic pain of trying to come to grips with the truth. And therefore, they'd rather live in a lie than come to the truth. I'll give you an example. Lulu Anderson, the same woman yep, I brought Lulu, up in 1922. Yep. Do you mm-hmm. know what they did to her records? And people can look this up. They want to validate what I'm saying. You know what they did to the records? Knowingly, they destroyed her records in the 1970s. Her records from 1921 to 1940. They destroyed it. The Albertan government or whichever officials destroyed it. They can look, people can look up Lulu Anderson from Edmonton, Alberta. They can look up what happened to her records. So the legal records, Le- the court records, all of that. Gone. Like, like- A lot of this had to be, you know, had to uh, have transmitted through newspaper mm-hmm. articles mm-hmm. in terms of the, the controversy. That's how we knew about it. But in terms of even her early life, they say not much is known. They know that maybe she was she was born maybe in uh, New Jersey, that she came and she spent about 30 or something years in Edmonton, Alberta. That's all we know. But they destroyed the records. Do you know how intentional you have to, you be, have to be 
Yeah, to do that. And what your intent and what your your objective is when you are going to lie and maintain that lie by burning any evidence to refute that lie. And I think it's because of this, uh, I guess, of this pro uh, proclivity to upholding this delusion that Canada is this um, beautiful and kind nation of integrity when we unfortunately when we look at the history that is absolutely false the indigenous people are trying to prove that on their end yeah. we as african people are trying to do that on our end because there can be no reconciliation there can be no righting of wrongs if you don't even acknowledge that the wrongs exist in the first place excellent and you know when he just said that there must be truth before you can get healing and reconciliation thank you that's the order. So a lot That's of people it. are trying, trying to pretend or yes. trying to say you're going you're gonna to get a really a fabricated, a yes. false, a fake yes. reconciliation. It's, it's going to be a foundation 100%. you can't build on because why? It's built on a lie. Yes. And the truth is difficult. It's very Oftentimes difficult. it's really difficult. Sometimes it's nasty, it's dirty, yeah. but it's something that has to be put out there. Yes. Now, um, so what about, fast forward a little bit, you did allude to this, I believe, but mm -hmm. um, in, in your timeline. Yes. But the 2020 um, George Floyd. Yes, very good. Let's fast forward there. Internationally, that was it became known all over the world, mm -hmm. in large part because of the pandemic. I guess people were more quiet, mm -hmm. so it, was, it got more media uh, attention. Yes. So why was that? historical event why was it so significant to canada so talk about the significance of that to canada i'll give it to you from a uh, from a psychological standpoint oftentimes and this is even what happens when it comes to um you know sexual assault um why you know after one person comes forward and you know in admitting that this mm -hmm. person was sexually mm -hmm. assaulted a string of people come about because when they see somebody do it for one it um, psychologically empowers that person hmm. to actually believe now that they have the courage and they have the right to do it because essentially what has happened as victims is that they have been psychologically manipulated oh, yeah, yeah. to believe mm -hmm. that for one, no one will believe them because that's what the perpetrators mm -hmm. often tell them. Mm -hmm. And then for two, nothing will be done about mm -hmm. it. And then mm -hmm. for three, that there's no point in doing it because well, for one, who's going to believe you? And for two... Um, no one's going to see you as the victim. Gotcha. So what that does is it reverses that harm and it therefore helps to increase their self-worth to recognize, no, I'm a, I'm a human being that this needs to be put out there. Right. And then on the other uh, side, often, sometimes when you see something occur, right, that triggers a traumatic memory of something that occurred with you, that can therefore evoke or elicit an action and evoke intense emotion of you wanted to do something. You may not even know what it is, but you're like, this triggers something for me. I remember something that resembled this, hmm. that is evoking a, a whole bunch of hosts of emotions. You ask any black person, when they saw George Floyd, black mother, black son, uncles, aunts, grandmothers, grandfathers, they have, some of them may have not even been to the States, but they saw George Floyd and they saw the look in his eyes. They hmm. saw the police officer's eyes. And this is what, I guess, ignorant willfully ignorant white people will never understand is that there is a feeling. I remember a, a controversial school psychologist, um, really great prolific scholar, Dr. Umar Johnson talked about this, that racism oftentimes is also about a feeling. Hmm. 
Only those who have been the victim of it know what that feeling is. Mm -hmm. If you've been the perpetrator of it, you don't know what that feeling is. And when we looked at that video, it evokes so much emotion mm. because either you have personally experienced that or you know somebody who's experienced yeah. that on Canadian yeah. soil. So when what happened with George Floyd is it was, and this is, I guess it goes back to the, the, the um, true colors of the pandemic. It forced everybody to recognize that racism has not gone nowhere. And racism has actually been waiting for you guys to recognize that it's still existing. And what happened is when people were forced to watch that video circulate the internet, I'm not a fan of the of black life, you know, in that degraded fashion being circulated, yeah. but I have to give thanks that it was because it was the first time that people had to say, all right, it's true, it's here, right? It's like the boogeyman. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, yeah, the boogeyman's been here, right? And for black people, even those who were the naysayers, because I saw, I saw some who... If you asked them any other day, they would say black people just need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Mm -hmm. Something's wrong with black people. Nothing's wrong with white people. Even them, I saw them putting lengthy posts like, wow, as a black man, this triggered memories of me back in sixth grade being terrorized by the police or me back in ninth grade uh, uh, getting called the N-word by a teacher. Even the most self-hating black person could not deny could not the emotion that he evoked. So this is what made George Floyd so significant and also concurrently while George Floyd was being murdered, we have to remember, George Floyd wasn't the only brother being murdered at that time. Mm -hmm. In Canada, DeAndre Campbell was shot he murdered shot, yeah. the same year. Mm -hmm. Not even too long after George Floyd was murdered. Regis Korchinski Paquette was uh, pu either pushed off or m miraculously fell off of a building with police officers just so happened to be there around the same time. This evokes so much emotion because black people, you know what we're saying? When are you going to treat us like human beings? Hmm. When are you going to realize that we're not going to stop until you realize our humanness, our humanity is non-negotiable and we're going to protest. This is why Black Lives Matter actually back in Trayvon Martin in 2014, mm -hmm. when Trayvon Martin was murdered by George Zimmerman mm -hmm. and George Zimmerman got off. This is where Black Lives Matter came about in the States as well as in Toronto because we were tired of now you're not even waiting for grown men. It's not like to say that's right or wrong, but you're not even targeting babies. Uh, uh, Trayvon Martin was like 13, 14 years old yeah. and he wasn't killed by a, a cop but because unfortunately there's been a precedent set that mm -hmm. you can kill black people and get away with it mm -hmm. and this precedent has been set throughout North America George Zimmerman gets off right my point is is that resistance back in 2014 2015 into 2020 was a part of this history of black people continuously feeling triggered that their humanity is constantly at stake on a daily basis. Excellent. So it continued to, we, it's helping to move that pendulum, though, yes. though slowly. Yes. Now, I feel like staying on that thing because can you imagine even, even with um, the officer killing the person, killing George Floyd Yes. in everyone's eyes, what was next was, think about this, Mm -hmm. Even though someone was seen criminally yes. murdering someone, we could say on live television. Yep. The next step was not knowing if there would truly be justice. Can you imagine that? Can so, you can, imagine? So now, you know, I couldn't help. But I know that's not yeah. part of the, the discussion. No. But, but it came up, as you real. said, that that's part of the resistance. Yes. That on every front. Yes. There's that fight, yes. even legally. Yes. So then it was not just one thing for the world to see it. Yes. 
but would the system acknowledge it? And in this case, the, yes. the court system, the legal system. Very good. Because uh, we talk about things are systemic. Very good. And, you know, what people have to understand, even about when it comes to resistance, yes, one form of resistance is fighting on the front lines, protesting. So you have the Sandy Hudson's, mm -hmm. for instance, you know, the Black Lives Black Matter Lives chapter Matter. in Toronto, mm -hmm. right? You have the militant sisters like her. You have the Dudley Laws mm -hmm. um, who created the Black um, Ac Action, uh, Action yeah. Defense yeah. Committee, right? You have the militant brothers like that and sisters like that, right? On the front lines. But the militancy or the resistance can also carry forth in our respective realms. When you did your segment on God is Black, that's a form of militancy mm -hmm. because you're resisting against the racist notion that God is white. Mm -hmm. So when you are saying, no, actually... I'm going to teach the real history of who of what the characters in the Bible actually look like, what who they resemble. That's an act of resistance because what's that going to what's that going to um, elicit? A lot of controversy. That's going to elicit a lot of people saying, "Wait, wait, wait a minute, Pastor Carl, why is that relevant?" Be like, "What do you mean, why is it relevant?" We went to a whole discussion, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you've talked about what has been the result when you've gone against the grain, mm -hmm. when you go into education, and we say, "Hold on, let's give the true history." Of Canada, or wait, let's talk about these respective uh, events in our education system. That's an act of resistance. Critical race theory. This is what critical race theory is all about. It's simply saying, hey, yeah, we're why don't we talk about the real history of America, the real history of Canada, and the upholders or the or defenders of racism are like, we're not doing that. Why? Because mm -hmm. that's an act of resistance in the legal realm. We, we know what what happens there in the mental health or the psychiatric realm, in the real estate realm, right? Because we know, unfortunately, there was even so many barriers even throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s, mm -hmm. 90s. I can You can talk to older generations, older black generations. There's so much de facto segregation that occurred. Even real estate agents have to find ways to resist mm -hmm. against racism. So as you said, it transcends simply the front line, uh, 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 you know, defenses that we see of our activists doing it transcends into our respective realms where essentially when we are resisting, what we are saying is our humanity and the truth and telling of the truth is non-negotiable by any means necessary. Now, that's the issue. I just, you just took it out of my mouth. Yes. Truth. Very good. It's about the truth. We're, we're really, we're resisting lies with the truth. Yes. We're insisting that the truth prevails very good and if you've got the truth we're going to keep coming with it yes because the lie the lie cannot forever no. stand up against the truth no and what i also want to say to even add it to that is what we as black people if there's anything that i think we we need to understand um and there's been some examples of this throughout history but what we have to understand is not only do we have to make our demands but and this is the scary part mm -hmm. We have to not only stand on those demands, but we also have to create ultimatums when those demands are not met. We have to let them know there's going to be consequences in every single revolution in history. It's not simply, okay, can we be independent? Mm -hmm. It's, we need to be independent. Mm -hmm. the, co the colonial regime is going to resist and say, well, no, you're not going to be independent. What now is the consequence? So in the education realm, in the legal realm, this is the justice that we, that we demand. No, we're not going to do it. What do we do next, black people? Same thing on police brutality. Mm -hmm. And I've said this, and it caught, we can call it controversial. I think there may be a time, and it's been said by some other scholars, 
that there may need to be a cataclysmic clash between the police department and various members of our black community because it's been happening way too long. And unfortunately, we as black community have not provided the real and serious consequences of what will happen if we continue to be blatantly murdered without ramifications. We need to understand that with every demand, there needs to be a consequence. Mm -hmm. It's simply the natural, in the, the natural law mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with every consequence. Mm -hmm. What that looks like, I leave that up to anybody who's deciding those consequences. But what I need to need, what people need to understand with anything, mm -hmm. is that with any demand that we make in whatever respect of fashion against racism, there needs to be a serious ultimatum that we uphold and that we're willing to stand on. And this circles right back to what our forefathers understood: is that we're not going to simply make a demand. And then say, well, okay, we're just going to go back and pay our mortgage even if it's not mm -hmm. met. Mm -hmm. We're saying, no, we're not going to work on the plantation. No, my child may lose a father today because this demand needs to be met by any means necessary. And again, the spirit of that, though, David, again, is you can tell what something means to you yes. by the price you're willing to, to pay. pay. Mm. That's what you know. Economics is about that. Very good. Now I need to. We need to get into this. It's time to be moving on. How then? I think you've already touched on this. How do we teach and reinforce the importance of this rate of uh, this resistance to racism to our children? Excellent. It goes right back, and this is what I love about our, our, our the way our program has been set up. It goes right back to when we talked about the beauty of being black mm -hmm. and what it takes to fight against self-hatred. What we need to instill in our children is that not only are they beautiful in being black That's good. and beautiful in being African, we need to teach them that anybody who tells you otherwise is wrong. Mm -hmm. And that you need to let them know that it's wrong. And that if they continue to violate you in that sense. There needs to be consequences. What those consequences look like is going to vary within the families. But what you have to talk what we have to teach our children mm -hmm. is that when they come home and they say, so and so made fun of my hair, what do I do? You have to teach that child not to let that go. Mm. This is unfortunately some of the, 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 the challenges that some of our parents do. Because again, this is why I say for the most part our forefathers did this, but some of our forefathers and mothers did is because they were so dejected, yeah. because they were experienced the self-hatred, they said, well, you know, just just keep going, baby. Just keep going. They were about survival. Survival. That's survival. But yeah. what we have to teach our children is thrival, as I would say. We have to teach them to thrive. That if they come home, we're not going to let them sit in that dejection. We're mm -hmm. going to say, no, 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 no. We're going to remind them not only that they're beautiful, but we're going to say, I'm going to march with you to let these teachers know, to let this family know that this is not okay and that this continues, A, B, and C consequence will occur. That from the beginning that the child is three, four, five, this is what I teach my children, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. My children are four and one. And my son, he already knows that Africa is his home, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That he is African first, that he is a black child and black is beautiful. He knows his hair is beautiful. My daughter smiles she loves she's confident in who she is why because me and my wife and my and anybody around because we have to understand it takes a village it takes a village yeah so you cannot go and place your kids with people who are going to deject them and say ah black's actually not that great mm -hmm. no you need to keep your kids away from those dejected people until they're healed we have to as a village as a community and rebuilding the black family oh to teach our children from the very young age through literature through constant verbal reassurance mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. through physical affection excellent yeah that they that's, are beautiful. That's beautiful. 
and they need to understand no one can violate that without consequences. That gets into my life. I think you've, you've uh, kind of overlapped into my last yeah, question. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, but even if you repeat it, I think That's it's important. Fine. Let's do some closing words on the primary motivation. You know, again, going back to this primary motivation for that we have for resistance to racism. And we could say, what is the end goal? Excellent. I thought about asking, you know, let's discuss that. Very bit. good. So the primary resistance, the end goal of resistance against racism. In a brief way. In a brief <laughs> way, yeah. I'll be as brief as possible. Is that we as black people want to be able to function in a society where people may not like us per se, mm -hmm. but they can respect our humanity. That's excellent. And that we are able to navigate a world where we are able to be just as self-sufficient, just as productive, mm -hmm. and function just as smoothly, mm -hmm. free of dehumanization. We can have disagreements. We can have conflicts. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, you can even have prejudice. Mm -hmm. But we can respect each other as human beings where you are not going to do something that is going to so blatantly, unscrupulously, violate my humanity to the point now where I have to come out of my humanity to retaliate in whatever fashion. This is what I believe the primary uh, primary motivation of resistance against racism is about. This is how I've understood That's it, excellent. and this is, what I, um, this is what I express to anybody. That's beautiful. So that every person, and we're talking about the black, the black family, the yes. black, black nation. Yes. Worthy of dignity. Yes. Respect. Yes honor yes to be treated with equality yes to be to be able to go for the very best yes man this is good stuff very good we're going to conclude today just a few just uh as we close and, and thank you so much again for being with us on another episode of rebuilding the black family with uh, david grant and myself you know the more we think right about ourselves and I'm just blessed by just some of the thoughts that uh, David communicated today. But the, the but it inspires in me this thought that the more we think right about ourselves and about one another, mm -hmm. the more we seek the highest and the best, not just for ourselves, but for one another. Excellent. And the more then that means then the more we will fight then against racism, mm -hmm. oppression. Mm -hmm. Right. And the more we will tangibly show our belief in equality and goodwill for one another. Excellent. We're demanding this. Yes. We're demanding the very best. Yes. I mean, what else is there? Excellent. If not, then we're succeeding. We're really saying we're accepting a lower level, second-rate status. Very no, good. we're not doing that. So no. the more we fight against uh, racism, the more we will transform the landscape to truly reflect yes. one humanity Really, our, our really uh, transform our landscape to be one of more humility, mercy, and justice. Yes. Excellent. So, again, thank you for joining us on Rebuilding the Black Family. I trust you've been helped, inspired, and informed. Join us next time for Rebuilding the Black Family.